Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm James Layton, publisher at Larrikin House, stepping in for Danny as she reads at Storytime. We're coming to you live from Family Day Inside Rust, the podcast bust at the Sydney Writers Festival. And I'm super excited to chat to Katrina Nanestad, multi-award winning children's author who writes historical fiction, mystery, action and humour. Katrina's books include Waiting for the Storks, Rabbit Soldier, Angel Thief, The Girl Who Bought Mischief and a whole stack more, the, the Travelling Bookshop series. I've also got Amelia Miller, award-winning author of uh, Middle Grade Historical Fantasy, the grandest bookshop in the world and the bookseller's apprentice. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, ladies. Thank you. First question, you can answer however in turn you like. Um, What do you love about Sydney Writers Festival? (laughs) I love seeing the buzz. I love even just as we look out the window of Russ the Story Bus now, just seeing a whole heap of families, excited kids, excited adults. I love seeing the authors talk and the picture wall being coloured in and embellished. It's just I just love the buzz and the excitement about books. You can Brilliant. wave to us kids if you want. We can see kids out in the out in the We're in the bus. Just wave at the bus. <laughs> what about you, Amelia? What's Sydney Writers Festival for you? I am really impressed with the scale and the yeah. like the diversity of different groups there are so many events all in this one spot and the crowd is massive yeah and it's great how it's also central um it's actually my first sydney writers festival so i'm really loving it i'm blown away by all the literary enthusiasm that's very cool what are some of the experiences you've had here today so far well, I met my illustrator, Cheryl Orsini, who I've only met once before oh, yeah, in my course, life. Yeah, it's, sure. it's a funny sort of life when you when you have an illustrator working on your books because yeah. you actually never even correspond yeah, with them directly. Yeah. So I only met Cheryl once last year. So it was lovely to meet up with her again today and chat and actually see her face to face and talk about her picture wall and talk about our next project that uh, will be coming out early next year. So that's been a real highlight for me. But also in wandering around just and talking to Cheryl, other people were coming up to Cheryl and we were able to talk about our books with them. Just that interaction with kids and, mm. and mums and dads and that's really special too. And of course meeting other writers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. I've met a couple of authors we're publishing for the first time today oh, in person. Wow. Yeah, yeah like we do, a... we've done a lot of Zooming. But never, yeah, so I still haven't met half of my authors in yeah, real life yet. <laughs> it's a really funny world, isn't it? And because I live in regional Victoria and my publisher's here in Sydney, yeah. that's a bit like it yeah. is with me all the time. So it's really special mm. to have events like this where you actually meet people face to face. Even Amelia and I have met before. Yes. But we hadn't met face to face before yeah, sure, today. Sure. We've done a session together, but we've never met face to face before. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, 
Mine isn't from today, it's from other days of the festival, mm. but I, although actually it is happening today as well, hearing people do readings from their mm. books, um, there's been a lot of them at the curiosity stage mm. um, where people do five minute readings from their books. Um, and I really enjoy that. Mm. <laughs> That's been really interesting. You can just sort of, at the curiosity stage in particular, you can just sort of go there and sit and listen and it's the same as the story time that we've got here for the kids, but that one's an adult's one mm -hmm. and, yeah, really mm -hmm. liking that. It's quite a long festival. That's something the listeners may not fully know. It's not just a one-day thing. This has been running all of last week. It runs till I think, Tuesday um, next week. It is, it's a big, yeah, it's a yeah. big setup. yeah. So next question, why do, you, uh, why do you love creating for children? Well... One thing is that kids are really enthusiastic about what they read. Um, I know that I certainly was when I was a kid. Um, I will say, though, with this series, um, the bookshop series, when I thought of the concept, I thought this is a middle grade book concept because, um, you know, I, I want to explore all kinds of genres and readerships. <laughs> it just so happened that this idea I thought was good for the upper primary school group. And uh, so far, that seems to be the case. <laughs> Have uh, you found that age group's expanded or like has it gone lower than that or higher than that? Um, Is it secondary school? Or? Oh, you know what? It's actually gone much higher than really? that. I've had a lot of uh, fantastic feedback from really much older people who grew up with Cole's Funny Picture Book, yeah, which yeah. has been one of the resources I've used to create my series. Um, and I've, you know, I've got so much feedback for adults that they often describe it as, um, you know, it's a children's book, but it's for all ages. Yeah. It's, um, I, when I sort of started out, I expected to come across the stigma of kids' books, you know, not being as legitimate. But nobody's actually said that to me. No. They've said the opposite, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And a well, a well-written children's book will we'll just have that appeal and I've read your book and loved it <laughs> it's uh yeah it's it's a great compliment though isn't it yeah, yeah. thank you well, I, I feel like being in events with you legitimizes me <laughs> I see a lot of publishers marketing and they go naught to 99 I'm like okay yeah. well too bad for 100 year olds there yeah that's <laughs> right it's ageist isn't it absolutely ageist yeah. what about you Katrina what are you up for children I think, yeah, I think I, I used to be a primary school teacher, as did Amelia, and I think I really loved sharing stories with my students. That was my favourite part of the day in the classroom because I just loved that magic of being able to dive into a different world through the book. And also when I had my own children, that was always my favourite part of the day with my children was to snuggle up together and, and dive into a different world with the book. So I think that was probably a natural fit for me. But also I didn't like reading when I was a child. I really didn't like books. I was shown incredibly boring, earnest mm, books. Yeah. Um, and I think I like to write the kind of books that I wish were yeah, shown yeah, to me as yeah. a child. And I, you know, sometimes occasionally with these tweaks when we're editing and an editor wants me to take something out to make it more literary, I, I often argue for making some things a little bit more explicit because that's what I would have needed as a reader. So I think I, in, in part, write for young me that didn't get the books I wish I'd been shown. Would you have called yourself a reluctant reader? 
Yes, I would have. I learnt to read and write because I had to. I think I probably learnt to read and write thanks to comics. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a kid, there were lots of Disney comics yeah. around. Mad Magazine, which is probably really not yeah. PC yeah. now. I don't know. I haven't looked at one for years. But yeah. I really loved funny comics. I loved yeah. bright things. I like. I really loved humour. And I just, you know, I was shown all due respect to Enid Blyton, but Enid Blyton didn't appeal to me. And um, I'd read something like Famous Five, Secret Seven, and I thought, my goodness, there are much more exciting things happening in my own backyard yeah, than are yeah, happening to those yeah. kids. So I couldn't really get excited about the books I was shown. And I'm sure there were great books out there, but I wasn't shown the books that were a good yeah, fit for me. Yeah, yeah, well, but, yeah, as a publisher, our philosophy is we feel like if kids don't love reading by a certain age, reading, as soon as they pick up that first digital device, reading's dead. We yeah. have to, I love the word you use, earnest, because yeah. As much as we want to turn our children into better people, is that what they want? Is yeah. that what they want from reading? You know, is that the experience they want to take away? And more children we talk to, it sounds like they just they want to find joy in books. They yeah. want to see themselves. They want to have fun. You know, and yeah. fun was the predominant word that came through for us. The kids want absolutely. And I think until you've got children hooked on books, there's no point in talking about giving them wonderful experiences and information. What you want is for children to have a passion for books and whatever is the right book that does that for them, that's what you need to be giving giving them. And I, I think all these wonderful, funny books that are around like Andy Griffiths and um, Matt Stanton, they would have been the books that would have really sparked my interest yeah, as a child, yeah. not not all the horsey books and the Enid Blyton books. So uh, I think you get kids fascinated and, and excited about books and as their reading level improves, then, then they might start wanting to find other stuff, but it doesn't matter. Once they can read, they can choose to access whatever information they yeah, want, can't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a young bookseller, those the game about 25 odd years. I used to chase Andy Griffiths around at festivals. I was the bookseller. <laughs> and I go home every day with my pockets stuffed with $10 notes because all the just tricking books, all these early work yeah. were all $10. Yeah. But I saw the engagement he could get with kids. It was it was just mind-boggling watching him work. And it was just he was just giving them a fun experience. He was giving them a takeaway, you know, something yeah. to actually take away from it. Yeah. So what do you, is there anything else you'd like kids to take away from your work, your books? I look I feel like grown-ups sort of say my books are good because they're educational but that wasn't really my purpose I wanted to write a fun adventure I did want to include um, the you know and, and, and always do I think want to include some really interesting part of real life um, with this one, it's uh, Melbourne history um, with a project I've got down the line. It's going to be science and biology inspired, but still a fantasy novel. Um, so, yeah, what I want kids to do is have a fun time. <laughs> I, I want them to, you know, enjoy the adventure. And uh, I love it when kids say things like, your book's so exciting and all that kind of thing. I think your book's so exciting from a kid is actually worth more to me than yeah. your book was really educational. And they're not going to read it. If the educational is the only thing they get from it, they're not going to read it. Exactly. They're going to read it because exactly. it's fun and anything else yeah. that you add. Yeah. Which, of course, there's loads in, in, a, in your yeah. books that they're going to take away Well, I find well. facts exciting. So yeah. I weave them into the adventure part. Um, but it's related to something that E.W. Cole said in one of his funny picture books, which was essentially 
kids don't want to be forced to learn. No. They want to read things that interest them. And he said it in, you know, much more flowery 19th century writing. But <laughs> it, he was on to that way back then when they were still forcing kids to learn how mm. doth the little busy bee, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, he was on to it back then. So, you know, I, I very much buy into his philosophy there. <laughs> so you both write historical fiction. Uh, what's the draw there for you? Oh, I fell into it a little bit by accident just because I came across this story about the wolf's kinder that inspired my story, We Are Wolves. And it really, again, I wrote that because it fascinated me. And I found this story that um, I'd never heard of before. And so I thought probably most of my readers had never heard of before this true story. But also it was a story full of survival against the odds, things that really fascinate me. And... Um, resilience and also episodes of kindness and love and just back to that last question I suppose if there's one thing I do always try to put into my books it's just the power of kindness the power of love to change the world um, you know just small kindnesses make a big difference but that's really just I think what you believe in just comes through in your books doesn't it you can't it's you just can't help your personality coming through or your values coming through in your books but for me it's the the fascination of the research and I, I can I can read history and it's I find it quite dry if I just sit down to read history books but when I get my story idea and I create my characters and I take my characters on my research journey it actually makes the history more alive for me yeah. I don't know whether you find that oh no totally I was just gonna say the way that I was taught history in school made History and Australian history in particular sounds so boring. No, um, but part of that was that um, all of the Indigenous history and, you know, those details were not included. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's very, very so boring. I was under the impression that it was just Gold Rush, Anzacs, <laughs> um, what about Burke and Wills? Cool. Burke and Wills. Wills. I can't James believe Cook. more people know who Burke and Wills are than E.W. Yeah. Cole or like <laughs> Louis Armoy. Yeah. Um, the, the social history is where it's at for me. Uh, people yeah. and their yeah. stories. Yeah. Uh, I think where I think there's potential to connect with that for anyone. If, if it's yeah. if you make it intelligible on a human level, I think yeah. history is much more interesting. Yeah. If it's yeah. just names and dates and battles and politicians. Um, then, which is not to imply that politicians aren't human, but sometimes you wonder. Um, yeah, it, it it ceases to make sense. Whereas if, you know, people can understand things like a family or mm. one person in a new place trying to do something or, you know, somebody resisting something that they disagree with, I think the human level and the social history is so much more accessible and frankly more interesting. Yeah, and I think it's that thing as, as, as a researcher writing the book, but also what you give to your reader is that as soon as you have those characters who you like and you take the journey with, it becomes personal, Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think that's it's not only the power of bringing history alive, but I also think that personal connection with history that you're writing about actually your reader starts to identify personally with the history and ask, well, what, what would yeah. I do in that situation? How would I react? Is, mm. this, is this an understandable response? And I think that's how reading historical novels and reading novels can make us more compassionate people yeah. too because we actually realise there's not just one way of looking at things. Look at this little character. Why did yeah. they make that? They yeah. made a terrible choice, but now I understand 
why when I see what their background yes, is. Yeah. Yes. One of the biggest questions I get about the grandest bookshop in the world in particular is um, did the real Ruby die? And because oh. uh, you say childhood mortality was one in five in the 1890s, it just oh. glides straight over their head. But if you go, there are six siblings and one of them has yeah. passed away, kids really want to know and they're really interested in it. Yeah. And because they love that family. They're, yeah. they're emotionally involved in that family. They know that family and all of a sudden they feel the pain yeah. of that losing yep. like, that beautiful family. And if they, they go back in their own family histories, they'll find similar stories. Yeah. It's just that sometimes the way that it's taught in terms of figures yes, and lists and dates, it's easier to gloss over. Yeah. Even inventions which have massive social impact. Yes. They can they can seem really boring if you tell the story the wrong way. <laughs> Whereas if yeah. you you know, if you confirm you know, for instance, what a big deal recorded music was. If you if you bring it to life through a scene and you tell a story about people connecting to recorded music, then it's not just Thomas Edison invented the phonograph in eighteen blah blah. It's 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 real. I think yeah. I think I think what we both do is we make an effort to make it real. Yeah. And I I've seen people connect with your work. Because of that, I've seen people connect with my work because of that. Yeah. No, you're right. It becomes real and personal. So for both of you, um, Katrine, you can go first. What's next? I have another historical novel coming out at the end of the year, but it's actually inspired in part by my family history. It's not about my family, but it's inspired by something that happened in, in my grandmother's life, and it's set in Australia in the 1950s. So I, I feel like it's, I hope, and feel like it's a little snapshot of Australian rural life in the 1950s. So that post-war thing of people still, you know, struggling with dads coming back either physically or mentally injured or losing people who didn't come back. But also there's a thing about a lost family member in there that I, again, you know, you can talk about those things about how many people yeah. were lost early in life in those yeah. days, but hopefully that will bring that alive. And the way that people used to deal with those sorts of issues and how we've... You know, hopefully children can see that we've changed a lot in how we deal with grief and suffering yeah. now. Well, okay, so mental injuries for yeah. the more yeah. mentally real yeah. than almost everyone involved. Yeah. What about you, Amelia? What's next um, I've got a third bookshop book coming out. Um, so that one's set two years after the grandest bookshop okay. in the world during a uh, big recession in 1895. Um, and, um, but, of course, the main adventure is all based on the magic and... Mm -hmm whatever mischief the obscure smiths up to now and uh yeah that'll that'll be out in october next year mm, fantastic so you've both got a different nuance i guess to your historical fiction yours would be more fantasy mm -hmm. yours is more Real, realistic yeah, yeah it's yeah. very squarely based on yeah and what are the challenges with that in keeping that angle my my biggest challenge is i think because i'm writing about real things that happen to real children in wartime is that there's and, and in the next book in, in post-war australia there are really traumatic elements of that but i'm writing for children <laughs> so my challenge is always to be honest and be respectful of the real stories because i think i'm always mindful of the fact that the things i write about in history in historical novels happen to real people so I need to really honour and respect that but I need to make sure that it's accessible and age appropriate for children 
Um, and so I have a range of strategies I, I use to make sure that happens. <laughs> I've got one more question in the last minute. I think, why do you write? It's fun because I love books. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's fun. It's, yeah, it's an escape. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. And, thank um, you so yeah, much. Have Thanks. a fantastic <laughs> festival and thank you for what you contribute to the kid lit world in not only just in Australia, worldwide. I guess your books go everywhere, don't they? It's, uh, Some go yeah, further so, afield, but yeah. They do reach. So, no, yeah. thank you. Appreciate your time and, um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. If you're watching this live, come to our event at Quarter Past Four. <laughs> Quarter Past Four in. By 20? Track 12? Track 12. Oh. Right, track 12. <laughs> <laughs> On one of the two. If we're not in Bay 20, we'll be in Track 12. <laughs>